Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever, actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple pencil with it, I have been doing that on there and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook... Here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper like, and I'm sure it's it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use, and paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better... This is how you do it. So, to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, to get started. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? Is that War Rocket Ajax to bring back his body? Hello, everybody, and welcome to War Rocket Ajax. This is the internet's most explosive comic book and pop culture podcast, and we are your hosts. My name is Chris Sims. With me, as always, is Matt Wilson. Matt, how are you? I'm doing all right, Chris. How are you doing? I- I'm doing great, buddy. 
I'm I'm doing just fine. Hanging in there. That is the that is kind of the best you can do these <laughs> days. Yeah, I feel like that is the 2023 equivalent to wow. I'm really doing great. I'm hanging in there. Yeah, just getting through it. Yeah, but we do have a great show for everybody this week. That remains exactly as it was five years ago in the early time, earlier times. Great show continues. Great show prophecies foretold. That's right. Uh, Because we have a longtime friend of the show joining us this week. Kel McDonald is here to ostensibly (laughs) talk about comics, talk about uh, their new chapter of city between that just got going and a live reading that's going to be happening on their Twitch in the very near future. But we also talk a whole lot about video games in the interview segment that's coming up. We do, including some games that I am very bad at. So definitely stick around to hear all of that good stuff. But Chris, before we get to that, before we talk to Kel, we have business to take care of here, as we always do at the top of the show. And uh, that first order of business is thanking our newest Patreon supporters. That's right, Matt. Now, these are the people who, when they come visit our our home of any town, East Carolina, Clytosopolis, of Clytosopolis, the lore. The lore is being enriched with every episode, everybody. Still don't have that map of Gimmick Street up on War Rocket Wiki, but it's somebody will have to do it. I won't, but somebody will have to. You, you know what it is. There's a street. It's really long. It's got a lot of internet cafes. But way down at 624 Gimmick Street, there's something different. Matt, do you know what it is? Well, it's right next, or it's across the street from Scott Hall's estate. Yeah. So it's got to be. It's right next to Big Daddy Cool Diesel's truck stop. Right. Right. Uh huh. It's got to be the the good people at. I don't know who is it, Chris. <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, Ramon's Razors. Right, Ramon's Razors. The the even side of the street is zoned. For commercial. The odd side of the street is residential. That confuses a lot of people. Right. I uh, I I had a joke about how it was gonna be the good people at Gallup, but I couldn't remember Gallup. <laughs> look, look, just hey, now. Put that in the bank, buddy. <laughs> that will still be good later. The, 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 they oversee survey time. Yeah. It's, it's true. It's true. They have a satellite office there, but it, mostly Ramon's Razors. Uh, it's it's a Razor scooter dealership. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Uh, so go on down there and uh, get some get a cool scooter. Do some do some tricks. Like that that guy when those things first came out, and they had like an adult with like a blazer doing tricks on one of those things. Be like that guy. Hey yo, that's what I say to that. Yeah, be like me when I was. 17 working at KB Toys riding a razor scooter around the Cleveland Mall. 
did you really? Oh, yeah. And uh, a mall security guard had to stop me (laughs) and say, you can't do that in the mall. And I said, my boss told me to do this. Hang on, hang on, Matt. We gotta put the lore on hold for a minute because I got some Matt Wilson lore I need to find out about. Okay, was the were you or were you like a product demo? I was told by my boss at KB Toys go ride this scooter around so people will come in and buy these. Okay, so that's what I did. So you, so they, so your boss was like, I know what'll move these units, mm-hmm. and that's Matt Wilson razor scootering. Indoors at a mall. Yeah. That's incredible. And you yep. got paid for that. I mean, I got paid my regular hourly rate at KB Toys, which is not much, but yeah. Yeah, and if you want to give us your regular hourly rate at KB Toys, mm. mm-hmm. which I guess now would be $0, so maybe maybe more than that, maybe more I think. Than that. Maybe, maybe more, more than, than that. that. You can go to patreon.com. Just over minimum wage in the year 2000. <laughs> you can go to patreon.com slash warrocketajax, and while you're there, you can kick in as little as a dollar a month to help Matt recover from his many Razor Scooter injuries. That's right. I'm still working through them all these years later. Yeah, those don't just go away. And uh, you, uh, can, you can be like these fine folks. Oh, and, and, and help us pay those gimmicks they keep sending the milk call bills. That's right. These fine folks have recently helped us over on Patreon. Susan Cole. Thank you, Susan. Alex Tarnas Raskin. Thank you, Alex. Alexandra Anthony. Thank you, Alexandra. And Joel Valentine. Thank you, Joel. If you would like to be like any of those fine folks and help us, as Chris said, keep paying the bills and do this show every week... Do Comics Catch Up and Every Story Ever monthly. Do Snack Situation and Movie Finders on alternating months. All of those things are made possible by your support on Patreon at patreon.com slash Ajax. And as a patron, you get every single one of those shows that I just listed off completely ad-free. You get a special feed through Patreon where you get every episode. I make two versions of every episode of every show that we do. One with ads and one without, and you get the one without if you're a Patreon supporter. Uh, As a patron, you also get other cool stuff depending on the level that you back us at. You can get bonus content, be that bonus audio or writing that Chris does mostly, but I write on there occasionally as well. Video game reviews and other things over on the Patreon. And also, sometimes we'll record special bonus audio for the the Patreon. At the slightly higher level than that, you can get line-stepping privileges for every story ever, and currently Thursday Night Raw, which, as I've mentioned, generating considerable buzz. I have never seen a reaction to one of our games from our friends that is as strong as the discussion that Thursday Night Raw has already kicked off. I mentioned on last week's show that somebody should make a Thursday Thursday Night Raw logo, and I got like five of them. <laughs> wow. Incredible. It's, it's really something. Uh, so if you would like to get in on line-stepping for that, 
that Patreon is the place to do that. And uh, we have the design now for the 2023 t-shirt, uh, which is at the t-shirt level on Patreon. So Very all of that stuff, yes, all of that stuff is over on the Patreon and, and you can go get it there. If you were unable to help us monetarily, which, you know, not all of us can do that right now. Times can be tough for, for some of us. You can help us out in other ways. Uh, you can leave us a five-star review on the podcasting app that you use. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Or you can just spread the word about the show. As the newest Batman, Michael Keaton, once said, tell your friends about me. They're not, Matt, they're not going to fool me. They're not going to fool me. They're not, gonna, they're not getting me again. They're not going to... Nice try, guys. Nice try. Chris, now that we've thanked our Patreon supporters, it's time for some checks and recs. What do you say? Let's do it. Chris, what do you have to check in with this week? Matt, I performed an experiment. A, a bit of science was done. As you know, I got the deck. I got the Steam Deck. You decking it? It's, it's what I do now. I'm decking it, decking it out all, all day, all night, going hard on the deck, like a like a middle aged homeowner, which I get. I am. I'm all about that deck life. Mm-hmm. You, along with a lot of other people, you like that. Like you don't like real video games. I mean, you like real video games sometimes, but like you don't like real video games where you're like moving from left to right through a castle fighting Dracula. Like I like the real games. You like games where it's like you can't even see yourself and you're just shooting people. Uh huh. Which is, I mean, frankly stupid. Let's be honest. It's never gonna. It's never gonna get over. Nobody's gonna like it. But. You, but I know you play some of those games, so I thought maybe, maybe I would give it a shot. Uh, the problem being, of course, that I get ludicrously and violently ill when I try to play a first-person shooter. Yeah, uh, except for a very small number: Doom 2016, the modern Wolfenstein's, and Overwatch. So I've been going and looking and trying to figure out like what are the settings I can tweak so that I can enjoy more of these games. And is it possible for me to play them on Steam Deck? Because let me tell you, Doom on the Game Boy Advance would kill me. So I, uh, I I tried it out with Doom Eternal, which a lot of people have told me to avoid, but it was on sale. Don't worry. I, I, in fact, I think I got it for free with uh, with uh, Humble Choice. I tried it out, was able to play that for a while, not suffer uh, a horrible motion sickness. And now I am uh, going to give Doom 2016 and uh, some of the new Wolfensteins I haven't played a shot and see if I can't get through those on uh, on the old deck. I'm very excited about it. Yeah, we were talking about this before we started recording tonight. Yeah. And I think Doom 2016 is maybe the platonic ideal of a recent first-person shooter as far as gameplay. And the recent Wolfensteins are about as good as it gets as far as story in a recent first-person shooter. So, those are some good ones. That, 
we have limited Thursday Night Raw to comic books for a reason. That that shit where you are in a coma for like 25 years and the first thing you do is stab a Nazi in the neck like 15 times in, <laughs> in Wolfenstein Shadow of the Colossi is uh, about the rawest shit that's ever happened. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It, it owns pretty fucking hard. Uh, and I'm excited about reliving that. So, gotta find out about BJ's kids. BJ's cool kids in the 80s. So, looking forward to that. Uh, Matt, what have you been up to this past week in the, here in the season of love? Well, Chris, while we're on a video game tip, mm-hmm. I have been talking about how I started playing uh, Vampire Survivors on my phone. And yeah. I remember when you recommended Vampire Survivors on this show uh-huh. that you said, oh, I think you should play it on something that you can control with a control stick. Mm-hmm. And you were right, but not for the reason you thought you were about that. I mean, as long as I was right, that's all I care about. That's right. Cause it's actually pretty reasonable to control that game on a phone, like just using the touch screen. Mm-hmm. Like the movement is pretty good um, in that regard. What is hard is later game stuff that I didn't even know about where you almost certainly need a controller with buttons to unlock things because it's like, you can't just do it tapping a phone screen. There's one in particular, like unlock that I don't know how to do it on a mobile phone on like an iPhone. I haven't gotten that to work on the Steam Deck either. Oh, yeah, it's the same one. Yeah, it's. I mean, I guess we'll say spoiler warning for a essentially unspoilable game. <laughs> yeah. Um, is it that second ghost? I can't get the first ghost. Oh, the first ghost! You just t- you have to type something oh, in. I, I've I've done it with like the on like like the in game keyboard. But I can't get like I can't get it to uh, go beyond that. Hmm. Like I can't, I, I can't get him to show up. So who knows? I th- I think it might just that might just be a there was a thing where I wasn't getting it to work and you have to. It's confusing, and I, maybe I'll tell you what it is after we get off the air. The second ghost, you have to do like a certain input, and okay. I have no idea how to do it on an iPhone. So I think I may have reached the end point of my playing Vampire Survivors <laughs> because I can't continue to progress on my phone. Well, I will say this. Uh, new content just came out. There's a new level and new new stuff for Vampire Survivors now. Mm. The recent, most recent update. All right. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll hop on and give it another look. But I, as far as I know, like last time I played, I was like, I don't think I can do anymore. So we'll see. Uh, All right, Chris, time to make some recommendations. What do you have to recommend? Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I like to cook. We do know that, yes. Yeah. And uh, last time we we met, when last we were together, I recommended a cookbook. I recommended the Allison Roman cookbook. And I wanted to throw out another cookbook recommendation, one that I used 
this very evening, in fact. Uh, I'm pretty sure I haven't recommended it before, but I might have checked it, if not wrecked it. Uh, but the Lucky Peach Cookbook, which is a uh, book of like based on the, uh, the the Lucky Peach, I get the the like Lucky Peach uh, store at uh, Momofuku. It's got 101 described as uh, easy Asian recipes. Uh, mm-hmm. The cookbook from the Food Magazine. It's really great. Uh, they are pretty simple recipes that do not have a pretense of authenticity beyond being Asian American food and Asian food for the the like American mass audience, I guess. Um, and if you don't know what I mean by that, I'll just say there's a recipe in here that's called mall chicken. Okay. Which they describe as that chicken you get at the mall. Like when there's a Chinese restaurant, like in the food court, is that chicken? And buddy, it is that chicken. It is that chicken all day long. Uh, I have made a bunch of stuff from this. I've made the mall chicken. Uh, I've made uh, the five spice chicken that's in here. A lot of chicken. Uh, There's a lamb recipe for like uh, ground lamb burgers in here. Uh, Tonight I made the uh, Sichuan ragu which was easy peasy, super tasty. Just got some some rice and put it right over it, and it was absolutely delicious uh, and the perfect level of spice. Uh, everything's pretty easy to modify, and yeah, it's just like a lot of really, really solid recipes with some uh, really good writing in there as well. So if you are looking for uh, an excuse to buy like a rice cooker like I did, and you're like, I need to justify this with a cookbook telling me I should get a rice cooker instead of just using a pot on the stove. Go ahead and get the Lucky Peach book. And then go buy yourself a little rice cooker. I got one. It was like 20 bucks. It's great. I love it. It's cute. Cute as hell. I uh, don't think you need an excuse to buy a rice cooker, by the way. I think think everybody should get them. But I, I know that there are some people out there who are opposed to gadgets of limited utility. You shouldn't be. You, buy a rice cooker. It's a lifesaver, and uh, you'll you can cook the rice in the rice cooker for your meal, and then you have rice left over to make fried rice. Yeah, yeah, buddy. And you don't have to you don't have to take up like space on the stove. If yeah. You're cooking a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's just it's just smart. Right, rice cooker is great. Rice cooker, great purchase. And I got one that's like just the perfect amount of rice for the two of us. I know I don't even ever have leftovers for fried rice because it's the perfect amount. Matt, what is your recommendation for the people? My recommendation is a program that you can watch on internet flickering pictures. Mm. It is a comedy program. I don't know if it originally aired in the UK on like the BBC or Channel 4 or anything like that. But it is a British comedy series. It's only five episodes. It It is definitely those kind of British comedy shows where there's only a few episodes. It's called Kunk on Earth. Right, okay, yes, okay. I've seen, I, I have not watched the show on Internet Flickering Pictures, but I have uh, seen clips from it on the Clock Noise app. On the, yes, on the Clock Noise app. Um, well... It's five episodes, it's really short, and it's 
correspondent Philomena Kunk, <laughs> which is not her real name. She's no. uh, she's playing a character. She's a, a performer playing a character, but it's a great character. And uh, she's she's basically like telling the history of the world in this very satirical way. And I'll say this: it starts out kind of like punny, like a lot of the jokes are kind of like puns, where it's either you kind of get on board with them or not. <laughs> but the further it goes, the funnier it gets. It to my eye. By the end of it, I was I was cracking up at the show and there's one running gag that goes through all five episodes that is prime good shit like you can you can bleep this if okay. you want matt is it the technotronic gag uh-huh <laughs> yeah okay all right <laughs> i don't think that's yeah, giving away that's, too much that's pretty good it's, it's pretty, pretty good, good stuff yes it's it's in every episode <laughs> Love it. Uh, Man, it's fantastic. It's it's good. It's it's a lot of rapid fire jokes. So sometimes it misses. I I'll, I'll say that much. But F- Philomena Kunk, which I'll look up the actual actress's name who plays her. She has this incredible dry wit that is so good. Diane Morgan is her real name. Her like dry, straight-faced presentation is so on point. It's so good. I it makes me want to go back and watch every other Philomena Kunk special that's happened. From what I've seen of it, she's got like a real Nathan Fielder vibe. It's like it's a very Nathan for you-ish sort of uh sort it's, of vibe. It's it's not quite Nathan Fielder, like it's not quite uncomfortable like Nathan Fielder stuff. But it is – it's more like a mix between Nathan Fielder and a Daily Show segment. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, very much. Uh, but I think it's, I think it's really fun and, uh, and really well done. So I think it's worth checking out. Kunk on Earth on Netflix. And Chris, those are our checks and wrecks, which means – They sure are. It's time to talk about some comics. What do you say? Let's do it. Chris, the winner of this week's Texter's Choice is Fantastic Four, number four. And this is the big reveal of what what happened with the Fantastic Four. It's such a Ryan North plot, isn't it? (laughs) Boy, oh boy, it is. (laughs) It's such a Ryan North bit, which is not a complaint. If you've listened to the show at all, you know this. But uh, such... Such a here is here is a logical fallacy of time travel stories that I will make a plot point in this in this uh, this comic, and it's I, I think done really really well. Uh, I, we also caught up. Uh, I caught up on the last issue about Johnny Storm uh, being a labor organizer, <laughs> which is it was a good issue, interesting to think about and discuss uh, at some point. But uh, this one, a labor organizer out, who can't think of fake names to save his fucking yeah. life. I do. I've talked before about how I always hate the Johnny Storm reset, which is that every yeah. new Fantastic Four writer is like, I guess Johnny's got to learn responsibility. Yeah, he's got to grow and up. He's got to grow up. 
And this, it, it wasn't necessarily that as much as it was, yeah, Johnny's, Johnny's kind of dumb. <laughs> like, like Johnny's kind of dumb, right? Which I don't know if that has ever been such an explicit part of his character before, but boy, is it now. I What I like about that story is that Johnny's kind of dumb, but he's also got like this inherent goodness about him. Yeah. He's still a hero. He's still a guy you like. Yeah. Like, his weakness in that story is his inherent goodness, and he has to figure out a way to win, even with that working against him, which I think is really clever. Yeah, it's a a good setup. Uh, This one, though, you find out what they did, why everybody's mad at the Fantastic Four, why they're not the Fantastic Four anymore, why... Why uh, Ben and Alicia left. Why Ben and Alicia left. Yeah. All that stuff. And it's, I mean, it's a good, it's a really good reveal. Like, do we want to get into to what it is and, and spoil it for the listeners, Matt? We can, we can briefly get into it, but we don't have to go into every detail, I think. Uh, but by uh, the way, Brian North is the writer. Iban Coelho is on the, the art here. And I think it's really good. I think there's like a dynamism to the art in this book that is, uh, like there are depictions of Mr. Fantastic's powers that I have not seen before. Mm-hmm. And they're great. Like him ha- suddenly having 12 arms to fight negative zone monsters with. I-, I think that stuff's really good. Yeah. In order to save the world, Reed sent the Baxter building and the surrounding city block and all of the people in it a year in the future. Yeah. Uh, where they will emerge just fine, but they will have been gone for a year. And that includes uh, Frank and Val, and also Ben and Alicia's kids. Right. And like people who were just in that neighborhood of Manhattan. And there's a a really interesting thing where it's like, yeah, you know, like it's a year. Those people had jobs that aren't going to be there when they get back. You know, there's kids whose parents were running errands who their parents aren't going to be home for a year. The idea that, you know, the, the, the way North writes read as coming off in a certain way and appearing to be a certain way that isn't how he feels is is interesting. It's an interesting take on on Reed that doesn't. Uh, I think a lot of people see the challenge of Reed as humanizing him. Not Jonathan Hickman, obviously, who didn't <laughs> was not interested in humanizing Reed Richards at all, right? But <laughs> which I do respect and like. But Ryan North, I think, achieves it in this. Yeah, issue. I think I think he does it really well. I actually think Ryan North solves a lot of narrative conundrums of writing a fantastic four comic in this because one thing i was thinking about at the start of this issue it was yeah something of every fantastic four writer has to think about now it can't just be the core four they have to think about the kids right like Mm -hmm. what do we do with the kids how do they play into the story because they have to be there and so ryan north's just like 
let's send him away for a year. Yeah. And it's like, it it's the stakes, right? Because it, the challenge of the Fantastic Four and the the kind of appeal of the Fantastic Four is that they are the, more than anybody else, like even Thor, they're the not street-level heroes, right? Like, they're the superest of superheroes who fight God. <laughs> like they, fight, You know, Galactus comes down from space, that's who they fight. And so you have to figure out a way to raise the stakes. And I think the stakes of just going like, yeah, canonically, Reed and Sue are missing out on a year of their children's lives. Those are very personal stakes with a very cosmic setup. And I think that's really good and really well done. Well, it's, it's an interesting thing because it's like for the kids, it won't be a year, but for Reed and Sue, it, it will have been a year. It's like a, yeah. it's like a, a mini MCU blip, right? Yeah. And the fact that like the whole city has turned on the fantastic four for this is also really smart. and makes perfect sense. Because it's like, yeah, as far as they know, like, Reed can tell them that everybody's going to come back in a year. But do they know, how do they know for sure that that's what's going to happen, you know? Yeah, and the fact that, like, the alternative is everybody dies. Right. So, yes, I took a year of your children's lives away from you. But the alternative was everybody dies. And that's, like, a really, that's something you're going to be mad at, even when you know that it's that it was the only way it's an actual Even trolley you, yeah which is is really good you don't like it it's a perfect reed richards problem i think yeah. and kind of in the way that they're not you know the street level marvel heroes it's still the classic marvel thing of we won but we also lost yeah i think it's really well done like yeah me too this book has been excellent so far very, very fun. Very, very fun. And for something that started out with like three kind of small adventures, like focusing on Ben and Alicia, Reed and Sue, and then Johnny, to have that first arc kind of climax with a huge cosmic alien invasion time travel Reed Richards problem is a, is a good move. A cool move, I thought. Also, hey, I know we have been known to rag on Alex Ross on this show, but the covers for this book have ruled. They're yeah. some of the best Alex Ross art I've seen in a minute. Yeah. Chris, you wanted to talk about Wasp number two, which came out this week. Yeah, it's here's the weird thing about being somebody who loves the Marvel Universe and loves Marvel characters, but was never an Avengers reader. Because, let's be honest, not a lot of people were Avengers readers <laughs> for most of that team's existence. You know it's true. You know it's true. It's not that I, like, forget about the Wasp, right? Like, I don't forget that Janet and and Hope, who is a character I really, really love, uh, it's not like I forget they exist. It's just that I kind of forget, like, oh, right, like, like Janet... Is Janet's in Avengers number one? Like Janet's been around. Like, like J- Jan Van Dyne, a founding is, member, is the founding chair 
of the Avengers. It is kind of at the center of a big piece of the Marvel Universe that I ha- haven't read. So getting stuff from a creative team that I really, really love, which uh, if you're not reading Wasp, it's uh, Al Ewing and uh, Cassia Nee uh, and uh, KJ Diaz uh, on colors and Corey Petit on letters. That's kind of like a, here's a story about the Wasp's past coming back and, and all the different ways that, that that can manifest and the differences between Janet and Hope, who again, I love. It, it's a really interesting way for me to kind of get that feeling of when I first started reading comics, you know? I, I, I totally understand that. I get that. Yeah. Uh, excellent, excellent stuff. Uh, really thrilling. Uh, if the only thing that you know about the Wasp is that she's had a lot of costumes, which is true, uh, then... Uh, why did I say Hope? Nadia. Not Hope. Why did I keep saying Hope? Because of the movie. That's what the name in the movie. It's Thank the you. The movie. Yeah. Nadia. A character I keep talking about how I like, and I don't know her friggin' name. I feel like a real dweeb now. Anyway, it's really good. I'm going to stop talking because I feel like a dweeb. Matt, you had one you want to talk about? Yeah. Uh, I keep talking about these Lazarus Planet one-shots. And look, these are ads for upcoming DC Comics books that are launching. And on the one hand, it's like, okay. It's like these one-shots are like collections of free comic book day stories. Where it's like, read more in May 2023 uh, after this 10-pager. But you know what? I kind of like this. I like being introduced to these like new versions of these characters who are all dealing with this similar situation of Lazarus juice falling out of the sky. <laughs> and... So in can't newest- be called Lazarus Juice. That can't be right. I've read a lot of these comics. <laughs> uh, so in the newest one, uh, Lazarus Planet Dark Fate, uh, we have a hundred story by Tim Seeley and Baldemar Rivas, where it's a lot of Huntress being like, "I'll do what Batman can't," and uh, get canceled. <laughs> Jk, Jk. She's she's uh, hanging out in, I don't guess it's Arkham, but it is an Arkham-like place. It's like a mental hospital uh, with patients, uh, where one patient has been affected by the Lazarus juice and has affected everybody else. And so Huntress has to deal with that, and that story's pretty good. Then there's a Doom Patrol story with by Dennis Culver and Chris Burnham. Oh. Yeah. That now, sounds good. This is not the Doom Patrol from Young Animal. This is like a throwback to kind of a more classic Doom Patrol. With, you know, Elasta Woman and Robot Man and uh, Negative Man. And it's only revealed at the end that Jane is also on the team and spoiler alert, 
she's the new leader, which is a dynamic that I think is pretty cool. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then we get a story uh, by A.L. Kaplan about uh, a character who initially um, portrays the Flash at a like an Old West show. <laughs> okay. Who then becomes half of a super team uh, that's called Circuit Breaker. Or I guess it's just this character who is Circuit Breaker who ends up uh, working alongside the turtle. And uh, it's, it's a very kind of like, basically it's like a prominent new DC comics trans character. And that's very cool. The art in that story is great. Uh, And then we close out the issue with a story by Alyssa Wong with uh, Hai Ning where Batgirl and um, the Envoy uh, team up to uh, fight off ten- – oh, and also John Constantine team team up to fight tentacle monsters in a graveyard. That's fun. Which is going to be uh, – there's a new book called Spirit World that's going to be coming out where, where Cassandra Kane is going to be in like this world of like ancient – Asian spirits. Look, in this house, we respect Cassandra Kane. So that's, right. that's very exciting. I do want to say um, that story sounds good. The turtle is the best worst idea for a supervillain ever. <laughs> the, can the fastest man alive beat the slowest man alive? Probably. Yeah. Oh, it's actually okay. So. So Julian, the character who is portraying the Flash at the beginning of the story, becomes uh, the turtle by the end of it. So it's a it's a new version of the turtle. Okay. Still uh, slow. I. You know what? We'll find out. Uh, but don't, don't try and pluck the still force on me, man. Come on now. <laughs> uh, good stuff. I I enjoyed everything in this issue uh, quite a bit, and. I, I like like all this like here's a bunch of new shit that seems to be coming out of Lazarus Planet. It's well, how many times have we said it, Matt? We've been reading these damn things so long that all we want is stuff we haven't seen before. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and Chris, that's going to do it for our comics review segment, which means it's time to talk to Kill McDonald. I cannot wait. Chris, I feel like we have an audience that is especially suited to be interested in our sponsor, Paperlike. We do a podcast that's mostly about comic books. We have a lot of artists who listen to the show. And the Paperlike screen protector for the iPad makes writing and drawing on an iPad feel like you're writing and drawing on paper. That's right, Matt. Now dig this. I'm a note taker. I'm a notebook guy. I'm a stationary guy, a pen guy. But ever since I got the new iPad with the Apple Pencil, I've loved taking notes on it. The only thing that stops me is that it doesn't feel like writing on paper, which I love. I love that feeling. It's one of the reasons that I take notes so much and write down on paper. But with Paperlike, I get that feeling with the convenience, the editability, everything that I love about taking notes on the iPad with the Apple Pencil, I get with the feeling of writing on paper, which sounds so simple, 
but is so very nice. And if you're wondering how Paperlike makes it feel like that, they have this technology. It's a proprietary technology called nanodots, and that creates the natural resistance of paper while you're writing on your iPad screen. It's pretty amazing. And even if you're not an artist, even if you're just a person who likes to take notes, who needs to write things down to remember them, you're going to really, I think, like the feel of having this on your iPad. And Chris, I know you've been using yours. It was so weird when I started taking notes on the iPad, because as much as I like the convenience, it's weird to see my handwriting and notice the differences between when I have that resistance and when it's moving across something so smooth. We're we're 40, you and I, right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. I've been writing on paper for a long time, so it took me a minute to really get used to. With Paperlike, though, I get to just have that same feeling that feels so familiar, feels so comfortable. But I get to erase when I write a letter that looks weird which I do in paper notebooks all the time, I can never get my B to look right. You know? My my B always looks weird. What Like, I get it right one out of seven times. With paper, like, I get the feeling of writing on paper, but I get to go back and fix it if I don't like the way that B looks. And that's nice. That's important to me. I know I sound like I'm obsessing, but that's the kind of product this is. If you are the person who obsesses over the feeling of writing on paper, like I do, then th- you will love it. The latest iteration of Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils that are designed for maximum picture clarity. They're not going to obscure the image on your iPad. And every Paperlike comes in a set of two. So if you need to replace it, or if you have two iPads, you will have two Paperlikes to put on your screen. Here's what you need to do. To pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. If you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax to get started. today we are excited as always to welcome back one of our favorite guests one of my favorite people in the world to talk to a, a friend it's gonna be real weird if you don't feel the same way but uh, a friend of mine and a friend of the show and a friend of ours uh they're here to talk about the newest arc of the city between and a live reading that is going to be coming up that you can see on twitch kel mcdonald welcome back to the show Kel, how are you? I'm doing all right. Um, been busy, busy uh, working on um, mangas at Seven Seas, um, and the Seven Seas editor is all unionized, so that's been taking up some time too. Um, but congratulations, also been, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, also been uh, working on my comics and making sure they stay on point. I have a question for you. Yes. Uh, first of all, don't don't like. We've we've been trying to unionize here at Clytus Media, but it's the, the bosses. You would not believe these guys. They're, they're terrible. Uh, but I have a question for you, Kel. It's not about yeah. it's not about comics. It's not about your okay. comics. 
It's not about anybody's comics. Why am I so bad at Don't Starve? Um, everyone's bad at Don't Starve. Chris, okay. you don't know this, right. well, but um, okay. Bones, who played with us, um, dies like three times in a two-hour period usually when we play. The only reason why my character doesn't die is I don't go out and fight stuff. Um, I hide. Yeah, I, you, very nicely. I think you, I think you got me the game at some point. Yeah, because uh, I had a gift copy um, that I yeah. kept trying to give to people so they'd play with me and people weren't uh, accepting the gift. <laughs> and so eventually it was my turn for the offer. Oh, that was the second time I gave it to you. Uh, you just didn't claim it the first time. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I, well, until recently, I didn't do a lot of gaming on Steam, is the thing. Now I have the, uh, the deck, so it's, it's all I do now. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were very nice uh, and, and got me this game and invited me to play. And I was, in my view, just the drizzling shits out. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not bad at video games. Kill. I'm not. Don't starve but, is very hard. Um Well, s- since you know, not everyone listening is familiar with it, Kel, how about a a quick primer on what Don't Starve is? Okay, so um Don't Starve, there's two versions of it. One is single player and one is a group playing. And so I invited Chris to play Don't Starve Together. Um, In both versions of the game, you get a little cartoon person who is dropped in the wilderness. um, And each of them have different strengths and weaknesses. Um, So I like to play as a little girl, Willow, who her strength is that she's a she, her character is a pyromaniac so she uh you have a little sanity meter um and sh- when she is near fire um her sanity meter goes up cuz it's calming her but uh her downside is that she has less health than everyone else and she also um goes insane quicker if she gets wet um and uh the character that i recommended chris play because I asked Chris if he would like to fight was um, a little Viking girl who her strength is that she hits harder than everyone else. Um, But her downside is that she only eats food that has meat in it. So in a game where the goal is to not starve, that's a big disadvantage. I didn't realize that that like that seemed to me like it would help that there was a food preference in this game that I assumed was largely about eating. (laughs) No. Basically, it's like little drawings that look like kind of Tim Burton-y little cartoon characters. Um, And I think it's a fun time. I play with uh, my buddies Bones and Kevin every Monday night. Um, And we're trying to get other people to join. Because I think maximum you can have six people. Um, But I, I think it's a super fun game. Look, it's pretty cool to play a game with somebody named Bones. I will say that. Bones is pretty rad. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I was just, like... Again, I kind of assumed it would be... I I assumed it would be more... More food-based. And I I really don't feel like that's wrong of me to assume. It's not. Well, the thing is, is that it uh, just has a lot of bars that you gotta keep track of. 
Because you have your sanity bar, you have your health bar, and you have your food bar. And also and, sometimes and, there's a giant, like, what was it? Was it a rabbit? Was it a giant monster uh, rabbit? Because you were playing when it was winter, so um, that is the deer clops. It's a big monster cyclops deer. And every season has a different big monster. Um, so in the spring, you get a moose goose, which is a giant Canadian goose with moose antlers. Um, and then in the fall, a giant bear attacks you. And in the summer, it's a big dragonfly. So it just it just cycles cycles through those four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I did not like. At one point, we were going to fight this thing, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm all in it," because that's why I picked this character. Because you asked me if I like to fight stuff, I died immediately. It's okay. That's that's part of the game. Kel, you listen to the show. You know that I don't like the hard games where I die a lot. <laughs> it's but the thing is, is like, um, it's because you're cooperating. Your friends bring you back to life, and it's fine. Okay. All right. All right. What other games have you been playing lately that maybe would not make me feel like I was letting an entire group of new friends down? <laughs> No, you're. Uh, um, I play RimWorld a lot when I'm alone. Um, RimWorld is managing a little like colony on an abandoned planet. I like games where you have to do resource management um, and organize things. And RimWorld's fun because there's just so many mods for it that, like, every time you play, it, it can be completely different. <laughs> is that it? You, I, you were telling us you just got a, a PS5 as well. Yeah, well, I haven't played anything on it yet. Like, I unpacked it and downloaded all the shit. I'm going to play Disco Elysium on it and then replay Dragon Age Inquisitions on it. We've talked and, about uh, Disco Elysium. Yeah, on... Disco Elysium is rad. Now, have you pl- you've played it before, so you, this is going to be a replay. Yes. Uh, I, I got, like, halfway through it on my computer. The thing is, is I don't like to play games on my computer. I prefer them on my big TV. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I will finish it on PS5. Okay. Are you going to make the same choices, or are you going to switch it up? I don't remember what choices I made, um, okay. so maybe. That's that's what I always end up doing in those, ga- in, like, those kinds of games, where like depending on your actions, you can have different endings. I usually have two playthroughs that are like complete extremes where in one playthrough I do everything that's like my first instinct. And then I do a playthrough where I go against my instincts every time. Um, there was, uh, so I usually do, um, at least with dragon age games. Um, I usually do like three playthroughs. One is like my instincts one is to um, be super evil, and one is to be super good. Yeah. So I played through the first Dragon Age three times, and uh, I didn't replay Dragon Age 2 because I didn't like that one that much. So this will be my second playthrough of Dragon Age Inquisitions. Um, and I think I'm going to play as a goody-goody uh, this time. I think as an approach to Disco Elysium, that's a good way to go about it. One playthrough that is like just whatever you think you should do. And then one where you do everything 
you think is kind of right, and then one where you do everything where you think is kind of shitty. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll be, I think you'll get like the full scope of that game from yeah. from that. I have a tendency, like when I played uh, like Mass Effect, for instance, uh, which I played multiple times, uh, and I think I played Inquisition a couple times too. I tend to make the exact same decisions that I have made before because a because I I I have a real hard time being a jerk in those games. I tried to play a Mass Effect playthrough where I pulled the trigger for every little Paragon or Renegade interrupt. And a lot of them, you're just being an asshole. Being an asshole is great in the first Dragon Age game. Because so what I was doing um, to justify my character playing an asshole in the first Dragon Age is since um, mages are an oppressed class, and so are elves, I played as an elf mage. Um, and I basically called every single human out on being a shithead racist and a bigot and, um, was like, no, I'm not saving you because fuck you and the establishment. That was a real fun playthrough to do. That's not being a jerk though. That's, that's, that's being right. (laughs) Yeah, but the game does not present it as well, but the fact that I wouldn't save people was the game seeing, being like, you're kind of a jerk. Um, Because, like, in Dragon Age 1, there's a town that's basically getting attacked by zombies. um, Mm -hmm. And you have the option to just let the zombies eat them all. Um, And I was like, yeah, we're going to go do something else. Have fun with the zombies. We'll be back later after you're all eaten. (laughs) I mean, okay, that that seems like you're also creating a problem for the future. For yourself. I I do think... Of all the games like that, Mass Effect is the one where it's hardest to square making the bad choices or being an asshole with the character as presented. Yeah. In a game uh, like Disco Elysium, that is not a problem. Yeah, like, and Dragon Age, I feel like they're a little bit better of giving... You can find a way to justify being an asshole. But yeah, um, Dragon Age still has some bits where I'm like, oh, you guys are cowards. You 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 couldn't go full into this. Really sticking it to, to, to Bioware here on the show. Okay, so basically there's this character, Cullen, who is probably not going to be in the next game because his voice actor is an alt-right shithead. Um, basically, Cullen has been in every Dragon Age game. Um, and at first, he uh, was one of the magic cops that was involved in an incident where the mages all went crazy and killed a bunch of people. So when he, in that game, is like, we should kill all the mages, he just, like, five minutes ago saw all his friends get killed, so it's a bad choice, but you can understand that he's dealing with some shit that just went down. And then in the second game, he has fallen down the fascist pipeline. And when the villain... um, reveals that they're extra evil and basically wants to do a genocide. He's like, oh, this is too far. I need to back up. Um, And then he is on your team in Dragon Age Inquisitions. Uh, And you can talk to him about it, and he is like, well, I need to, like, reform myself and do better. But when you try to get the mages on your side, no one is like... 
I don't want to be on your team because that asshole's on your team. And I saw him help with some um, uh, c- cop brutality and hate crimes just a game ago. Um, so you you say you're about saving everybody, but you got this asshole on your side. So uh, no. Um, and it will be a hard sell. Yeah, so it's basically like, he talks about how he needs redemption all along, but everyone just accepts, yes, he's redeemed himself. And it's like, you really should have had at least one person be like, I don't know about this guy. I I have played every Dragon Age game, and I have Mm -hmm. enjoyed them. I do not know who this is that you're talking about. I do have no memory of this character. In... Um, Dragon Age Inquisition, he's like the general guy at the map when you go to talk to different people around the map and you can send... I know know the nice young lady with the candle on her clipboard. Uh Uh-huh. And that's it. That's all I remember. Well, there's also a soldier guy with a stylish fuzzy cape. Um, Okay. uh, And that's Colin. Okay. Not ringing a bell, but Kel, I trust you. Yeah. I trust you over my memory of Dragon Age Inquisition. I remember him because I tried to romance him because I like idiots with swords um, <laughs> when I play Dragon Age games. That's always who I romance first. Who's the idiot with a sword? Uh, so when I played as a dude in Inquisition, I dated Cassandra. And when I played as a lady in Inquisition, I romanced Colin. Um, but yeah. Um, that's why I remember him. I got to hear a lot of backstory, um, but, um, that's also why I know the the writers are cowards. Uh, I did attempt to romance, uh, Cassandra Pentagast, Mm -hmm. uh, for two reasons. Um, number one, her last name means five ghosts, Mm -hmm. which is four more ghosts than most people have. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, I mean, look, I don't have to explain it. That's hot. Yep. We all know. Uh, the other reason is, um, I feel like I feel like a lot of people know things about my tastes in romantic partners. Um, like Betty Felon, who I do a podcast with, sent me a, a, a tweet the other day from the bad website Twitter, and, and just said like, "Hey, I saw this and thought about you," and it was a tweet that just said, "The hottest thing a girl can be is a little mean." <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, that's that tracks. Th- that's, th- that's, this is what I'm known for. That's the new genre of popular anime, is girls being mean to nerdy boys, and it's a romance. I mean, that's kind of been, that's kind of been a thing for a while. Oh, this is like, that's all, like, for the past few years, yeah, there's just more and more of it. I feel like there, now there's a wide selection, so you can get deep down into the nitty-gritty of the specific type of meme you want a girl to be to you. Well, I remember Love Hina, the manga that made me stop reading manga for like five years, was all was all just various types of, of woman being mean to this little shit. Oh, see, but I see, that's a harem, so they have some non-mean options for the readers that aren't into that. Whereas these are romances where there is one girl, and she is mean to the one guy... And they will hook up at the end. All right. Now, now, now that's that's promising. Uh, I think the popular one is Miss Nakoten won't stop bullying me. <laughs> I've asked you about this before. That, that like the the 
very on-the-nose titles. This seemed to be the trend in manga these days. Uh, yeah, I I don't know what started it, but um, it it does make it easier to let people know what stuff's about. I mean that 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 tracks. I mean there is a like, it's it it's certainly not just manga. There is a long tradition of that in American comics. There's a guy since nineteen forty who was just a man on fire, and his name was the Human Torch. So that's just how it is. Kel, I'm very curious to know. Because it is, it is. We are recording this only a few days after Valentine's Day. It's yes. February. I'm curious to know, like, what are your all-time favorite like video game romance options? Well, I did tell you I'm partial to Idiots with Swords. Um, yeah. That's why I didn't play Mass Effect. Is there there are no swords in that? Um, there's, there's kind of you kind of have a sword in Mass Effect too, kind of. Yeah, I feel like. Dragon Age Inquisition is the only one where I've gotten into whatever the romance subplot is. Matt, do you have a favorite video game romanceable NPC? I think it might not be all that surprising that I don't... (laughs) I weirdly don't have a particular interest in romance as a video game mechanic. Like, I guess... I got most interested in it in Mass Effect. And I guess it was probably Garrus. But. It makes sense. You do have a time. Yeah. Uh, But typically, I don't know. It's just like. Not what I'm interested in in a video game. I, I could take it or leave it usually. But Chris, you're asking the question because you got one in the chamber, so let's No, I, I was genuinely curious to know. I think it's very uh, revealing about people. And I, I you know, Kel, you, yep. Idiots with Swords is a broad genre. I thought there would be more. Nope, that's and it. Matt, I know just... you play a lot of video games. Yeah, I, I play those hard games, though, where, like, if you get married, it's part of some weird ritual where you then have to murder your spouse to eat their soul. <laughs> it's, Is there it's not also a romanceable like... NPC in Bloodborne? That's shocking. There uh, is there is a way to get married in Bloodborne. Well, more than getting married, you like pledge your allegiance to certain characters. Uh... And you can also then put, betray them after you do that. But that's that's a tip. That's a thing in those in the Souls games. Like you pick which character you want to like pledge your loyalty to, which is slightly different from romance. But <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so Chris- all, all the games I play are like. Most of the games I play are, like, research management games, so you're controlling, like, 20 people at once, and therefore, like, while romance does happen in RimWorld, you're watching two little, like, Lego people get married, um, and they don't really have personalities. Chris, who's your favorite romance PC? Oh, jeez. I I will say this. I, I do appreciate the the breadth and variety of romance options available in Persona Five, uh, and how some of them, in a game where you are playing as a fifteen year old, are full adult ass women who should not be romanceable options. 
at all. But as a as a per like me as a person, my favorite is Kawakami, who uh, is your homeroom teacher and also just a mess, just a terrible person. <laughs> She's great. She's absolutely fantastic. So, is she more or less of a mess than Sailor Moon's teacher? So much more. Okay. Uh, your romance arc with her starts when you hire a sexy maid service and find out that she's moonlighting as a sexy maid service, but is not... Like, she's either a sex worker who's extremely bad at it, or it's not a sex work thing. It's very difficult to tell. Uh, and then she says she's doing it to support her sick sister who is in the hospital. And then she's like, yeah, actually, that was a lie. I don't even have a sister. And then you find out she's being blackmailed. <laughs> so it's it's a wild she's, ride for old Kalakami. Yeah. I love her. She should not. The arc is perfectly fine. There should not be a romance option for her. Chris, I'll tell you the... Ro- the video game romance I have the strongest opinion about. Okay. Although there's it, there's no real option to it because by the end of Final Fantasy VII, Cloud doesn't really end up with anybody, right? <laughs> like, and and one of the romance options is is dead by the time the original game ends. R.I.P. to thirteen. R.I.P. I, I think people's weird preference for Eris over Tifa is super weird. Because Cloud met Eris that day. Um, I'll explain it to you, Matt. Um, <laughs> she died, so she's on a pedestal and can never be tarnished because she's dead. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm just saying, he's known Tifa his whole fucking life. Which means that she's a person uh, with flaws, and Eris is dead, so she cannot have any flaws. Um, I, the, she, the, she'll forever be idealized in Cloud's imagination. The disrespect to Tifa. <laughs> the disrespect. Mm-mm, no thank you. She can punch. Uh, she can punch real good. That Look, that's true. I will say that the Final Fantasy VII Remake uh, does do it like... Eris in that game is actually like a, a fun character. She's a, a real person. She has like a personality. Um, yeah. But if you were like old school playing that game and you were like partial to Eris over Tifa, I'm like, what are you doing with your life, man? Yeah, but like, Remake Eris is a whole is a whole different situation. Yeah. Although even then... I'm still Team Tifa, but still, it it is a different situation. Eris is way more of a character in the remake. Uh, I'm partial to Final Fantasy IX over any other Final Fantasies. Uh, I I long had the opinion that eight was better than seven, and uh, people people get on my case about that. But I think uh, eight people don't like school. eight because it's leaning more into romance and yeah. is more aimed at girls. Um, yeah. It's a better story. Eight's a better story. I don't know about that, but um, <laughs> I I do think, like, uh, the stuff that gets it criticized is usually um, stuff that's in every Final Fantasy or stuff that's aimed at girls. 
Uh, I've heard a lot of people complain about the end uh, of eight where they find out they all went to the same orphanage together and just forgot. And it's like um, every Final Fantasy game has a stupid third act twist like that that they pull out of their butts. Um, it's just the seven one is so convoluted that it's hard to explain. But like Titus is a memory of a dream or some shit like that. Like they, they all have a dumb thing at the end. Kel, we've talked for quite a while about video games. We need to talk about uh what what you have coming up and what you have coming out already. Uh, so the new City Between story has started. Yep, um, it started yesterday as of us recording this. Um, like, the cover just went up. Uh, my Patreon backers are always a month ahead of my main website. But that means um, Murky Water is all done, so if someone wants to read that all in one go, they can. Um the new one is called uh, Shards of Reflection and taking a break from werewolves to explain vampires in this world. Um, and also trying some more experimental storytelling that may or may not work. Because, um, uh, so vampires in the city between world, um, when they feed off someone, they get their memories. And the main character of Shards of Reflection is a newbie vampire, so she cannot tell the difference between her memories and the memories of the people that she ate. And she is trying to find the person that made her a vampire. Um, so there's a lot of unreliable narrator stuff that I'm going to push myself with. All right, and you're doing a reading coming up as well. Yes, and then on my Twitch, I'm doing a live reading. Uh, I had a couple of friends volunteer to read different characters' lines. Um, we're going to read the first City Between story, Fame and Misfortune, which is about a werewolf bodyguard protecting a spoiled celebrity. I got the idea to do this because my buddy Abby Howard um, made a video game called Scarlet Hollow. And recently, um, she did a live reading of playing the game because it's like a visual novel. I was like, that seems fun, and also a good way to like promote a comic that's been out for a while, and just get it out to more people, maybe. So what is the visual element of the live reading? Are you going to like be putting panels on screen? Or? Yeah, I, I went and cropped every panel individually, so it's a slideshow of each panel as we read oh, it. Oh, cool. Uh, that's cool. That's, yeah. Uh, that's going to be on my Twitch, twitch.tv slash comicdonald on Saturday the 25th. All right. That is well worth checking out. So do check that out. And um, I'm going to answer reader questions after the live reading. So if anyone has any questions for me, they should send them so I can read them on air. What a great segue, Kel. Yes. Because as you know, being a multiple-time guest of War Rocket Ajax, uh, it is now time for us to kick it over to our listeners to see what questions they have for you about you and your work. Matt, if the uh, people out there listening want to get in on these discussions that we have with our friends here on the show, how exactly do they do that? Well, Chris, I would say the top option would be to email me or would be to email me. Or, I guess, tweet at me, or 
get in touch with me on Tumblr and ask for an invitation to our Discord. Okay. And you can ask a question there, and you don't have to go to the bad website for that. But if you aren't on Discord or you don't have an inclination to be on our Discord server, you can also sign up for an account on Twitter.com. And wait until Thursday night night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 6.30 Pacific Time. Or maybe a little earlier. And uh, I'll put out the call for questions on our Twitter account at WarRocketPod. And uh, that will be your opportunity to also ask questions for our guest. So, Kel, here are some questions from both our Discord and from Twitter. Kate Bishop, real name wants to know, Kel, as the preeminent werewolf specialist, what do you think about the Werewolf by Night special? I have not seen it because I have stopped watching MCU things. So I I saw the trailer and I was like, this is really tempting me, but I think I'm going to stick to my guns and not continue to not engage in the MCU. Did you just not think that they'll ever top Doctor Strange 2 and now... I haven't seen that one either. Um, I actually stopped. Uh, The last one I saw was Thor Ragnarok. Um, I mean, you know what? That's kind of a good one to go out on, honestly. And and the thing is, is like, um, I had told myself I was going to stop before that. um, And I only watched Thor Ragnarok because Taika Waititi was uh, the director of it. So the one I saw after, like, before that was, um, I think, the first Doctor Strange or the first Ant-Man, and it was, like, on Netflix. Um, so not in theaters. But, yeah, I kind of was, like, I am I have other stuff that I want to watch more than stuff regarding the MCU. And uh, the reason I stopped reading superhero comics was because of crossover stuff. And it seemed like that's where the movies were heading. Um, so I was, like, I, I think I'm done. So it was more just kind of, like... The type of storytelling more than a particular thing that was your breaking point. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, also, I want to support stuff that is not a big mega franchise. Um, <laughs> sure. I can tell you, Kel, like, the werewolf content in the Werewolf by Night special is... I heard it was minimal. It's not, it's not the main event. Yeah. I'll say that. It's not the main event. It's not yeah. what I showed up for. <laughs> Uzi on Twitter asks this question. Have you ever flipped a table in real life? I almost did last Emerald City. Really? Because they fucked everything up. Um, I, I would have flipped a table except the booth. I, when I showed up, there was no table. And they tried to claim that tables don't come with the booth and i was like that's bold-faced lie um get me my goddamn tables um so it's one of those things that i was mad enough then to flip a table but um there was no table to flip which was the problem wow a a true (laughs) catch-22 yeah the one time you want to flip a table I there cannot table. imagine a con trying to be like, no, 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 we just, it's just the space. We did not. Reed Pop has been trying to push that for ages. Like the first 
New York Comic Con, the first C2E2, this is the first one ever, I went, and they tried to be like, oh, the table costs extra, and the space um, is what you paid for. And it's like, that's no, that's bullshit. Um, and then they tried to pull it again in New York uh, a couple of years later. They, they, they tr- keep trying to like sneak it in. Like, they think people won't notice. These are like airline upcharges. Yeah. Um, and the Emerald City, I'm going to Emerald City this year. And now, uh, so at Emerald City, I always have an end cap. So that's two uh, 10 by 10 corner booths put together. Um, it's the end of an aisle. And it might not, usually in the past it came with four tables. And then this year, it might only come with two um, so I have purchased tables from Costco that I plan to return right after Emerald City because I am not paying $300 to rent a table for the weekend. N- nor should you. Take a stand. That is that is a stand worth taking. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it. That's ridiculous. Yeah. It is ridiculous. Uh, the new 52 pickup artist on our Discord wants to know, what is the best werewolf RPG? Apocalypse, Forsaken, or something less well-known like Bite Marks? I have not played many tabletop RPGs, um, so I cannot tell you. Um, and I am adverse to White Wolf-related RPGs because of um, bad experiences with its fans. Mostly them getting in my comments being like, these aren't real werewolves. You have mentioned that to us before, and I had questions. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's because they don't follow the white wolf rules, so clearly they're wrong, according to some people. Um, I also got a comment similar to that about uh, on Sorcery 101, um, when uh, someone said that, like, Danny is not a sorcerer because in D&D sorcerers do this, blah, blah, blah. And like gave me a very long detailed explanation about how he's a wizard because of D&D rules. Um, and at the time I didn't know that much about D&D. Um, but now I do know enough to, I could snarkily respond with, well, if we're going to go by D&D rules, he's a warlock because he has a blood deal with a higher power. So uh, take that pedantic nerd shit. Yeah, it's almost like there are different fictional systems and universes where different rules can apply, and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, Tales to Enrage on Twitter asks, invisible people, yay or nay? I think it depends on how you use them. Um, I'm for doing whatever you want as long as it works in the story. Um, So invisible people, if you got a cool story to tell... Um, I'm for it. Um, I have been disappointed with every adaptation of the invisible man, um, because they always make him like a serial killer. Um, but if you read the book, the invisible man, it's all told through town gossip and the fear in the book is not that he's a serial killer. That's going to like kill and kill you in your sleep. It's always like he could be in this room right now, and if he is, that means he's naked. There might be a secret naked man in this room. And it's more like paranoia about the fact that they're in proximity to a naked person that's like worrying them than like anything in particular that he could possibly be doing. 
I mean, that is pretty upsetting. It is, but, like, it never makes it into the movie. They always just make him, like, a serial killer. That's true. Or in that latest one, like, a creepy ex. Like, a weird stalker, abusive partner. And so I would just like an Invisible Man adaptation that leans into, like, but he might be naked right now. It's a fairly goofy story, um, which is partly why I liked it. Here's a question from the poster called Fate. And, Kel, since you're working on some vampire fiction now, uh, maybe this could lead to to a future story. Uh, The age-old rivalry between werewolf and vampire is well-documented. What is the relationship between mummies and werewolves? I mean, I feel like as long as the werewolf isn't stealing the mummy's shit, then they should be fine with one another. Because the mummy is always only out to get to people that are um, disrespecting their sacred land or being colonizers in some other way. Um, so they they could be friends. Yeah, honestly, send the artifacts back. Yeah. We should all be on the mummy's side. Yeah, yeah. That's why they don't make remakes of the mummy now is because, like... Oh, the mummy is right. They, he should kill all these colonizers that stole his shit. Right. They're just stealing all of the, their things and taking them to the British Museum. They they are in the wrong. Yep. There was that Tom Cruise mummy, but I didn't see it. There's a really good I also did time. not see it. Uh, I That's did not see it either. Uh, I did see that... Dracula Untold or whatever movie that was supposed to be connected to the Dark Verse or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we know all that about was your Dracula Untold here at the show. I know. Yeah, you did a movie fighters about it. Uh, yeah, I did listen cool. to that one. It's a rough one. Rough go. Stone Cold HCC, an account that exists only to ask questions on War Rock and Ajax, wants to know: Y'all ever had to buttress your feelings? <laughs> Uh, all the time. Yeah, literally every day, Stone Cold. Yeah, that's that is a task. Chemically, usually, yeah. And that's a task. That's that's a thing that you gotta like, gotta buttress them, buttress those feelings. I assume In that this approach. is a Knives Out reference. I mean, a Glass Onion reference. And if people haven't seen that movie, they should. Uh, I'm just very glad that that Stone Cold also caught that and fell in love with that line like I did. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, in a professional setting, yeah, you are expected yeah. to buttress your feelings. And I don't always want to. Don't always want to. Matt Wilson just wants to go wave shit. That's right. Josh Dang It on our Discord wants to know, are only mammals capable of being were-creatures? It seems like reptiles and birds are rarely, if ever, represented. I mean, that depends, because, like, so the thing is, is that werewolves didn't transform during the full moon until the 1940s Wolfman movie, Um, and before that, it was either a curse placed on a person 
um, and they would transform like every night, or it would be they'd transform via a magical object like a coat or a belt or something like that. And you have similar stories of um, people having like cloaks of feathers to turn into birds. So like raven maids, you could probably put in the same category as uh, werewolves. And then there is a swan shapeshifter that also like changes with a cloak of feathers. So I'm sure if someone went digging uh, hard enough, they could find reptile ones. Um, in Hawaii legends, there are shark shapeshifters, and those are rad. So even though they might not have the prefix where, yeah, they definitely fit in the same sort of milieu. Yeah, same vibe. Well, that is very interesting, Kel, and I think that is a great note to end on. I learned something. Yeah. Uh, Kel, before we let you go, please uh, let our listeners know where they can find you and uh, and your stuff and your work. All my stuff is on KelMcDonald.com. I stream every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday nights um, at twitch.tv slash kelmcdonald and like i said on saturday i'm gonna do the live reading um if you want to send me questions for the live reading you can email me or leave a comment on my patreon um or um i'm in the war rock and ajax discord so if you just want to at me from there that works too i am all i am on all the social medias as twitter is dying um there's too many to list um I'm Kelhound on Twitter, um, but I've linked them all on my website, so you can just find them all from there. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Our guest has been the always delightful Kel McDonald. Kel, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Come back anytime, yeah. and uh, I will pester you with questions about things that are not your comics. <laughs> all right. I look forward to it. Thanks once again to Kel McDonald for joining us. Uh, go check out their reading on Twitch coming up. That seems like a pretty cool thing to do. Yeah, and even if you can't watch it live, I know a lot of those videos get archived on Twitch where you can go back and watch them after. So that's definitely something to do and that you should do. Chris, it's been a while since we've done this. How about we take a, a listener question? That's right. How about we take a listener question? <laughs> not having it is Matt Wilson. <laughs> Matt says no. I said Let's that's right. I, I said that's right. This is a question from Nick Netzel, who says, uh, in a previous listener question special, you both mentioned how much you enjoyed the great indoor fight. If you ever did it again, would you consider spicing it up with a pool of listeners suggested arenas or locations for the battle? It might add a fun extra twist. I think that could be fun, but I think it would make it way more complex. But I, I guess that would be the fun. Like if we do, if we ever do something similar, like that kind of you know bracket, who win in a fight sort of thing, we'd have to do something a little different. Yeah, I think the, the the real crux of the question is: Would we ever do the great indoor fight again? And if we did, I think we would have to find some kind of new spin on it. Either it would be like a tag team tournament or 
it it would have to be different in some way from the first t- tournament. I I like the idea of adding an arena. Like it could just be like a randomized. We pick two characters to fight and then pick an arena arena for them to be in, and they're all listener submitted. Right, because our our the great out the great indoor fight was final destination, no items. Right. Essentially. Right. Yeah. What what kind of like are you thinking like we would pick fight locations, like famous fight locations that match the uh like the idea of having like all of these characters like giving somebody like a home field advantage or like are we talking about it's literally the Paper Mario stage from Smash Brothers and the, and the street from from Street Fighter. Well, I think by virtue of the fact that the arenas would be a separate submission and would have to, by their nature, be kind of randomized, that I think it would have to be the latter rather than the former. Because people submitting an arena won't know if they're giving the two random characters who are going to be fighting their home field advantage of some kind. Yeah, because it's that element of randomness is really what was fun about the great indoor fight for me. Yeah, because so I think so many it, it resulted in so many really good matchups, unexpected matchups. Yeah, which was a yeah a, a huge part of the fun of it. So I think if we added in the arena element, it would need to be that additional wild card. You know I think I mean? you're right. Yeah, who do you do you think we get the same results? In the dome, the Tokyo Dome. I mean, it depends. Like, I mean, I mean, it doesn't depend. Samus wins, like, regardless. <laughs> <laughs> I do think there were certain fights that, if they had taken place in an arena that could have been advantageous to one fighter, it could have changed the outcomes of those fights. But I don't know. I, I it's interesting. I I think, though, if we do the Great Indoor Fight again, or some version of it, we'll have to come up with a new gimmick to to make it different. So, that, that's, the, that's the really big sticking point for me. Uh, how, do we, how do we make it different and interesting if we do that same sort of thing again? Yeah. That's a good thought. I just want to know what people would pick as, like, the arenas they'd send in. That's that's something I'm really curious about. Like, what is your, like, what is your favorite fight location? Yeah, that 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 would be a cool thing to hop on the Discord and tell us. Like, if you were to submit a fight arena, what would it have been? But Nick, thank you for sending in that question. That that's interesting fodder to chew on. And uh, if you would like to send us a listener question, you can email us at warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. That is also where you can send us every story ever lists, submissions for Thursday Night Raw. Let us know if you want to sponsor the show or get in touch with us about whatever else you need to get in touch with us about. You can also tweet at us at warrocketpod. We're on Tumblr, warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com. And as I mentioned, our Discord, uh, you have to be invited to be on our Discord, but if you ask nicely on one of those places I just mentioned, or on our Patreon, uh, we'll get you a Discord invitation. Our website is warrocketajax.com. It has every episode of the show we've ever done. 
ever. WarRocketWiki.com is the fan-run repository of all things War Rocket Ajax. If you want to learn more about the show or find notable episodes to listen to, uh, that is the place to find that info, as well as the Every Story Ever list and much more. If you want to find me and my stuff, I'm at mattdwilson.net. It's where you can find links to my comics, my books, my other podcasts, and my social media presences. Chris, where can people find you? Everybody can find me by going to the-isb.com. That is my website, and it has links to all the things I like to do. Like cooking. Like 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 cooking, yeah. Because dig this. Y'all know I like to link to comics that you can purchase and podcasts <laughs> that you can listen to. <laughs> that does it everybody we're done we're out of here hey Uh, thanks for listening thanks for listening thanks again to kill for coming by always a fun time to talk to them uh thanks to you the listener for being with us again uh on on your monday afternoon or other period of time uh hope you're getting through february because boy it's february isn't it of all the Februarys, it's, it's the Februaryest. It's February. Is that a thing that I don't know about, Matt? Or do you? Are you? No, I was trying to be clever. Okay. Hey, that's okay. You don't have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Bye, everybody. Buddy. Don't forget, Black Lives Matter. Trans rights are human rights. Abortion rights, human rights. And cops. Not your friends, but we love you. But we love you. Yeah!